0: Well, amen. Thank you, uh, Brother Mike, and thank you, Music Ministry, and thank you, Church Family, for um, joining with us as we worship and praise the Lord together this morning. Uh, Again, I think we pretty much caught the theme of the second coming of Christ. and You know, that's a hopeful theme, isn't it? And uh, I was thinking as we were singing that final verse, all storms forever pass. And some of you, some of us, are perhaps maybe in a storm right now. And I don't mean a physical storm, a literal storm, but of course we're talking in a figurative sense. Uh, We oftentimes refer to the trials of life as storms. And there is coming a day, and we say this with confidence, there's coming a day when all of our storms will forever be in the past. And I think maybe he chose... Uh, this theme for uh, Time Change Sunday because we need to be encouraged just a little bit uh, that there is a better day that is coming and we're certainly uh, thankful for it and for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to take them and join me in the 15th chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 15. And, of course, you'll find the outline for the message this morning. there as an insert in your bulletin, and so if you'd like to, you can follow along there as we work through this particular text together. Genesis chapter number 15 and verse number 1, the Bible says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven. And tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Notice verse number six. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. I'd like, to, I'd like for you, if you're in the habit of marking your Bible, to mark the phrase that's found in verse number one, where the Bible says the word of the Lord came unto Abram. The word of the Lord. In the previous chapter, and we have to sort of go back just a couple of verses because the verse number one begins with the phrase, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram. And so, what, what had happened in the previous chapter? Well, we discussed it just a little bit last week, but we discovered that Abram in the previous chapter had learned that his nephew Lot had been captured in an attack uh, on the city that he was living in. We learned of that in chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. And Abram uh, immediately began to pursue after his nephew. He recovered his nephew and those that had also been taken captive, and he returned him back to his home. Upon this return from battle, Abram is met by two kings. The first king is a man by the name of Berah, and he was the king of Sodom. And we see that in chapter 14 and verse number 17. The second king that met Abram, upon his return from battle, is a man by the name of Melchizedek. He is the king of Salem. So you have Bera, the king of Sodom, meeting Abram. You have Melchizedek, the king of, uh, of, of Salem, meeting uh, Abram. And, of course, Melchizedek was much more than just a king. Melchizedek was the priest of the most high God somewhat of a mysterious figure here in our Old Testament and of course uh, his story is given to us a little bit more detail in the book of Hebrews Uh, for the sake of time we don't have time to delve into exactly who he is but he certainly is a interesting character nonetheless but we discover that he greets Abram with a word of blessing and with also a wealth of provisions. As he's returning from battle, he gives him wine and he gives him bread. Abram's meeting with the king of Sodom would feature that king offering Abram the spoils that he had won in battle, but just requesting in return that he give him the people that he had recovered in battle And of course, if you'll read the end of the chapter, we did not have time to get into it last week, but Abram refused to keep the spoils that he had won in battle because of a vow that he had made to the Lord to not take anything from the king of Sodom for fear that the king of Sodom would then claim to have been the one to have made Abram rich. And at the end of this saga, Abram really had risked everything. He had risked his own life, his wealth, he had risked his servants in this battle and he had very little, he had very little to show for the sacrifices that he had, re- that he had made. And in, in, in I just have to say that if in life, the only things that you do are things that cause you to benefit personally, then you will likely bypass things of great importance and significance. Oftentimes, when we're faced with a decision or a choice, the first thing that we think is, how will this benefit me? How will this help my family how will this how will this push my cause forward and i just want to remind you that there are times in which you and i are asked we are called upon to do things that really will not directly benefit us a great deal and yet we discover in abram's life a willingness to simply do what needs to be done even if even if you and i will not directly benefit or directly profit from that which we are engaging in I want you to notice that in the aftermath of all of this, Abram had hazarded himself for someone who likely would not have reciprocated, likely would not have done the same thing for him. And yet it's at this point that Abram is visited by the Lord once again. And don't miss the significance of the timing of this visit. I want to just pause here for a moment. I want to say that you and I are never more pleasing to the Lord we never look more like the Lord when, when it is that we have put away our pride, our selfishness, and our personal ambition. And instead, listen, instead we're living to be a help and a blessing for others. Uh, Notice that it's after after Abram had literally put his life on the line to be a help to someone else for no personal gain, no personal uh, profit. It's at this point that God comes to him. The word of the Lord comes to him and shares with him some very, very important life-giving truths. Can I say that you and I are most pleasing to the Lord when we're living to help and bless others? Especially those, listen, especially those who are unable to bless us in return. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter number two that we are to consider and that we are to imitate Christ's model of living. Did you know that when Christ came to this earth, he clothed himself in two things? He clothed himself in humanity and he clothed himself in humility. He did all of this. He did all of this so that he might serve others He said of himself, the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We oftentimes like the term Christians, and we like to call ourselves Christians, but can I remind you that Christian means Christ follower. It means someone who is seeking to imitate Christ, and I find that Abram imitates Christ in many respects. In this passage of Scripture, he is is serving others. He's trying to help others, even though it will provide no direct benefit or profit to himself. This is the first time in all of the Bible we find the phrase, the word of the Lord came. First time in all of the Bible that we find that phrase, but it won't be the last. In fact, this phrase is found 92 times in your copy of the Bible, we can say, listen, you and I can say with confidence every time we open this blessed book, we can say with confidence that the word of the Lord has also come to us. Isn't that a blessing? To know that God is still speaking. He is still speaking today. And how is he speaking? He is speaking directly through his word. Because of the inspiration and preservation of this precious book, you and I, every time we open it, the word of the Lord is coming unto us. You may consider yourself this morning to be lacking in some, in some way. As you look at your life, you might say, well, I wish I had a little bit more of this, or maybe I wish I had a little bit more of that. But can I tell you that every one of us are abundantly blessed Why? Because we have the word of the Lord. We have the Bible. We have a message, a direct message and revelation from God himself. And did you know that because we have that, we have everything that we need to live a blessed life down here and and someday to enjoy eternal life over there. What a blessed thing it is to have a copy of God's word. And yet how many people have the word of the Lord in their home? Maybe they even have it on their phone or their mobile device. Perhaps maybe they even have a a, uh, a copy of a Bible verse that hangs in a hallway or uh, in a bedroom or perhaps uh, you know you get in your car and and you have a Bible a, a car Bible and maybe you've got a pew Bible you save your seat uh, with your pew Bible and you've got a Bible at home and yet how often how often do we have Bible upon Bible and yet we never really stop to consider what it has to say to us. If all the Bible that you're getting in your life is when you come here, you're not getting enough Bible. We wouldn't be satisfied, would we, with one meal a week? You know, as, as, as Americans, we are, we're, pretty, we're, we're pretty accustomed to three meals a day. And yet the Bible is clear that it is our food. It is our nourishment. Uh, the Old Testament character Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Yet so many Christians are getting a a diet of about one meal a week spiritually. It's not sufficient. You and I need more. We need more of the word of the Lord coming unto us. And I want you to consider that Abram may have been experiencing some level of doubt about what he had given up to reclaim Lot. But I want you to see that his perspective would be altered when the word of the Lord came to him in the 15th chapter of Genesis. What did the word of the Lord say to Abram, a man a man who had hazarded his life to be a help and a blessing to someone else, who had lived his life for others up until this point and, and really had not sought his, uh, his own profit and his own benefit? What did the word of the Lord that came unto him have to say? Well, there's three specific things that the word of the Lord gave to Abram in our text. Number one, I want you to consider with me that the word of the Lord, first of all, gave Abram peace. The word of the Lord gave Abram peace. Would you look with me at the very very beginning of this message? The word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. And here's here's what it had to say. Number one, fear not, Abram. Fear not. Abram's venture in the previous chapter, if you stop to think about it, had left him in a really vulnerable place. You see, by pursuing after Lot and the other captives, Abram... Had inserted, listen, he had inserted himself into a battle that was not his. You see, in Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 1, there are four kings and they, they come and they fight with five kings that are identified in Genesis chapter number 14 and verse number 2. Abram is not a resident of the four kingdoms that are mentioned in chapter number, verse number one. He is also not a resident of the five kingdoms that are mentioned in verse number two. So in, in essence, in reality, this battle is really not Abram's battle. Periodically, someone will come to me and they'll say, "Uh, Pastor Pete, did you hear, uh, did you hear about what's going on at so and so church? Or did you hear what's happening in this movement or in that movement? And I can, I can honestly kind of step back and say, you know, I didn't hear that. But the truth of the matter is that's really not my battle. I'm not a member of that church. I'm not a part of that movement. So it really doesn't apply to me. I really don't have a whole lot to say to it because that's not my battle. Perhaps maybe I'll hear of a, I'll hear of a family that maybe is not connected with this church and, and I'll, I'll learn of, boy, the really, dealing with this, so they're really dealing with that. And I'll sort of kind of take a step back and I'll say, wow, well that's, that's too bad, that's unfortunate, but that's not my family, therefore that's not my battle. I really don't have anything to do with that. And Abram could have sort of taken that approach, but listen, it became his battle. It became something of interest to him when in that battle his nephew Lot was taken captive. The Bible tells us that 12 years, Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three kingdoms that are identified in verse number two that they had served a man by the name of Chedorlaomer who was the king of Elam but in the 13th year of this captivity or this bondage those those five cities they rebelled And it was in the 14th year that this king had gathered several other allies, three other kings and kingdoms to respond to this rebellion by waging war against Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities and kings that are identified. Again, this battle was between these kings and the inhabitants of these cities and these kingdoms. Abram had no part in this battle until until his nephew became a captive as a result of the conflict. Abram's love for his family and for his nephew, a young man that in in many respects was like a son to him, would lead Abram to getting involved, to to going after and and fighting. And and, and that involvement perhaps would lead to Abram beginning to wonder, did I make a mistake? You see, Abram was relatively new to this part of the world. He was really, if you think about it, he was really just a, a farmer with a large ranch. I mean, that's basically what he was. He had maybe a plot of land, and he had some cattle, and he had some servants, and it would seem that he was a wealthy man, but, but in reality, he was not a king, and he had no kingdom. And Perhaps he was beginning to wonder and beginning to think, you know, was it wise for me to have gotten involved in this matter? Have I, have I sort of put a target on my back? Have I, have I made my, have I made my ranch, my servants, my family? Have I, have I made them, uh, put them in a vulnerable place by engaging in this war? I have to think that doubt and fear must have begun to fill his heart and his mind until, until the word of the Lord came unto him. And what's the first message God tells him? God tells him, fear not Abram. What do you suppose Abram was afraid of? I have to think he was afraid of the fact that, you know, I I won that battle last time, but there's no guarantees that I'm going to win the battle should those kings and those kingdoms return and wage war against me. Can I tell you that fear is a strong emotion that we wrestle with as human beings? We are tempted to fear men, fear circumstances, fear challenges and obstacles in our lives. We're tempted to fear the future. Can I say that fear is natural? It's natural. It's something that all of us deal with. But can I tell you that it is not a spirit that comes from God? The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. What spirit has God given to us? Well, it's listed in the rest of the verse. He's given us the spirit of power. He's given us the spirit of love. And he's given us the spirit of a sound mind. Did you know that the presence of God in your life and the word of God in your life, that those things are given that you and I might have peace and calm in the midst of fearful circumstances? Earlier today, we have a men's prayer meeting and uh, we take prayer requests. And one of the men in our men's prayer meeting had mentioned something about uh, conversations that are being had at the local level. And uh, the thing that he had mentioned was uh, about our city potentially becoming a 15-minute city. Has anybody heard that at all or heard conversations? Some of you, yes, yeah, some of you have heard different things along those lines. And uh, the idea being that uh, what they want to do, and I think probably it's to, to battle climate change and different things along those lines. And whether you believe in that stuff or not, there are a lot of people that do, and, and it's a concern. And so the idea is, can we, can we set up life so that you never have to drive much more than 15 minutes beyond your home? Well, in that, in that conversation, people started talking about checkpoints and, and all those sort of things. And my son comes with me to that prayer meeting. He's, he's 10 years old, turned 10 years old yesterday. And I, could, I, I was watching him, and he's getting real nervous. He's looking at me, and he's looking at the person who asked the prayer request. And, I mean, you could just see the question marks are filling his mind. We divide it up to go to prayer, and uh, and he's saying to me, "Dad, I have two questions." And I said, "Well, we got to pray now, buddy. No, I got two questions." What's that talk? What's that fifteen-minute thing talking about? Because you know, I know the ice cream store is more than fifteen minutes from my house, and I don't want to think about life without the ice cream store. I mean, he's getting really stressed, and I mean, we drove up to McDonald's after our prayer meeting, and he's asking me, "Dad, you know, is this thing real?" And I said, "I have no idea if it's real or not. I I, I, I don't know, and and, uh, and and I I don't have I don't have a whole lot of answers about certain things that are being talked about. Whether something like that ever happens or not, I have no idea. But here's what I do know: I knew, I know we have a God in heaven, and I know He wants. His people not to be filled with fear. Yet too many of us, too many of us allow fear to hold us captive. Oh, we're, we're filled with fear and anxiety and worry and stress about this or about that. Did you know that the message of God to his people throughout the Bible is a message of fear not? Think about the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, you will find that message over and over and over again. Listen to Isaiah 41 in verse number 10. Fear thou not, why? For I am with thee. Be not dismayed. For I am thy God, I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. A little bit later in that same chapter, verse 14, Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 44 and verse number, nine, verse number 8, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Why should I be filled with dread and fear about who the president is or about who the speaker of the house is or about this dictator or that dictator? Wait a minute. I serve the God of the universe. I don't have to be filled with dread. I don't have to be filled with fear and filled with anxiety. Isaiah 51, in verse number 12, I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die and of the son of man which shall be made as grass and forgettest the Lord thy maker that hath stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. Somebody says, well, yeah, that guy has a lot of power. Does he have power who stretched forth the heavens? Does he have power that laid the foundation of the earth. No one, listen, no one can compare, compare to our God. Therefore, you and I should not be filled with the spirit of fear. Oh, we serve the God of the universe. I don't know what it is that fills your heart with fear today. I mean, the fear of Abram was a very real thing. He had engaged in battle and he knew, he knew that that had put him in a very vulnerable place and yet God came to him and God said, don't be afraid, Abram. Some of you, you're facing some things in the next few days. As a pastor, I know some of you, some of you, you have surgery on the horizon or you have a family member that has surgery on the horizon. You know what God's message to you today is this? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Some of you, you're looking, at, uh, you're looking at the economy, and we heard of a major bank in California that failed this, this past week. And when and we're hearing prognosticators say, well, that's just going to be the first of many. And we start to think about anxieties as it relates to the economy. And you know what God's word says to us today? God's word says, don't be afraid of that. Don't be filled with fear. Some of you, you've noticed something not quite right with your body. Maybe there's a pain or maybe there's a feeling of discomfort or maybe something's not working the way that it should be working and you've got an appointment or perhaps maybe they've done some scans and, and you're still waiting the results of those scans and you're tempted to be filled with fear. And you know what God's Word says? God's Word comes to us and it fills us with peace. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Abram's fear about his status in this foreign land and what might lie ahead was met with the peace and calm that only comes as we hear the word of the Lord. I tell you that in a world that is filled with fear and uncertainty, the people of God should display an unusual calm. Why? Because we know our God will meet every need and supply the peace that we so often lack in our flesh. Notice secondly, the word of the lord not only gave abram peace but the word of the lord gave abram protection who says there he says fear not abram i am thy shield we find another phrase that would be repeated throughout scripture and would come to be very meaningful to the hebrew race that phrase is the phrase i am god proclaims himself to be jehovah or the self-existent one when he identified himself as i am to moses in the wilderness he is the he is the author of existence he is the performer of promise according to albert barnes he told abram he said i am thy shield you know a shield is a useful tool in battle and conflict why because it protects from the enemy's attacks Abram and his seed would discover, uh, they would discover threatened harm from the world all around them. In other words, everywhere they looked, there would be threats. We're coming for you. Uh, Our eyes are set on you. We're going to overthrow you. We're going to keep you from uh, achieving that which you desire to achieve. But Abram is given a promise from God in this passage of Scripture that he says, I am the self-existent one, and that means that I am high above the creatures that I have created, and as a result, listen, I will protect my people and be a shield about them. We have to stop and think about this for just a moment. Who is God? When he says, I am, what is he saying? He's saying this, he's saying, I, I exist alone. See, I don't exist alone. I require I require health, I require strength. I c- require community. I require parents to exist. I would not exist without parents. But God God isn't, God isn't wired that way. God is the I am. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any other person to exist. He exists of his own ability and of his own will and of his own power. He is the I am. And, and what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, he, he's, he's saying, I, I've created all of this. This is all mine. Those people that you're so afraid of, I created them too. Therefore, listen, as the creator, I'm not afraid of the creatures that I have created. I have power over them. And because I have chosen you, Abram, and I have called you for a specific purpose, I am guaranteeing myself to be thy shield of protection you don't have to worry about a foreign enemy. You don't have to worry about these four kings that you happen to overthrow in this battle somehow mounting additional allies and getting additional kingdoms to, to, to come and fight. You don't have to worry about those things. I will be your shield. A shield doesn't keep the enemy from firing. That, that's not what this means. It doesn't mean that Abram would never have to face another trial. It doesn't mean that Abram would never have to face another battle. But here's what it, di- here's what it does mean. It means this: God would protect him in those battles. The shield doesn't keep the enemy from firing, but here's what it does. It keeps, it keeps safe from that which is fired by the enemy. The Bible talks about the devil being a roaring lion. The Bible talks about the fiery darts of the wicked. And do you remember what God gives us? He gives us the shield of faith. And what's the purpose of that shield of faith? That we can quench those fiery darts. That we can put out the fires that are sent our way. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 33 and 29, happy art thou, O Israel, who is alike unto thee, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help. And who is the sword of excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. Psalm 3, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, say But thou, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. The Bible says in Psalm 5 and verse number 12, For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous with favor, wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Proverbs 30 and verse number 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that when I read God's word, I discover not just in his message to Abram, but I discover throughout his word that he is a shield to everyone who puts their trust in him. The devil seeks to devour and destroy our lives. He is relentless in this quest. The world is looking right now to marginalize and ostracize God's people. I believe the stage is being set for believers who cling to God's word to be declared villains, and enemies. In many respects, we are already being seen as bigots by some in high positions of authority. The education environment of our world is indoctrinating children to tolerate anything and everything except born-again, Bible-believing Christians. We we are the only people in which it is fair game to attack and to hate. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do when this attitude reaches its full and final fruition Here's what we're going to do. We're going to cling to God. Why? Because he is our shield of protection. The Lord has been so clear to me in recent days as it relates to this. I've been thinking about the children of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, they would find moments in which their hearts were filled with great fear and anxiety. And they would, they would look to God and a prophet would come and he'd deliver a message. And even though the enemy was out just outside the walls of the city, and even though the enemy was much more powerful than them, had greater weapons than them, had more men than they had, had, had more chariots than they had, God would, God would come to them and God would say, relax, I've got this thing. God would do some unusual things. Did you know that in one night, in one night, God slew one hundred and eighty-five thousand soldiers of a, of, a, of an invading army <laughs> in one night. Did you know that one night God called a, a man to lead a group of 300 men and they had, some, they had some torches and they had some trumpets and they blew the trumpets and they smashed, smashed the pitchers and the torches and, and, and all of those things caused the invading army to be filled with fear, thinking that they were surrounded and they began to run and they stampeded each other and they slew one another, not sure who they were fighting because it was the middle of the night. I mean, the Old Testament is full of incredible stories just like that. And every time, every time I read those things, I often think to myself, you know, well, that should be enough for the next time when they enter into some type of conflict for them to say, well, we don't have to worry about this. Remember what God did and, with Gideon and remember how God sent an angel and slew this group of people and remember how we marched around the city six days one time and on the seventh day we marched around seven times and we blew some trumpets and we shot on the walls, came tumbling down. God's got this. And yet you know, don't you, that every time a new conflict arose, their hearts were filled with what? Fear. And anxiety, even though they had all of this history to look back on and to remind themselves God is faithful. Sometimes I find myself looking at the children of Israel and thinking, you're just a pathetic lot. I mean, come on, get your act together. Believe God. And then I look at my own life. And every time, every time I get a troubling phone call, I get a disturbing email, I feel a pain in my body, Or I have someone that I know and someone that I love that enters into a trial. You know what I start doing? I start rubbing my hands. Lord, what are you going to do here? Oh, God, look at this mess that we're in. Every single time. And you know what the children of Israel are doing? They're looking at me saying, get your act together, buddy. (laughs) Your God is faithful. And our God is faithful. We don't have to fear. Fear not, Abram. Fear not, Christian. He is your shield. But notice thirdly and finally, He says, not only, not fear, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you protection. But notice the end of the verse, and I am thy exceeding great reward. Not only does the word of the Lord give peace and it gives protection, but notice the word of the Lord gave Abram a priceless reward. Abram had given a tithe to Melchizedek, king of Salem, in chapter 14 and verse number 20. As he returned from this battle, he took a tenth of the spoils that he had gotten and he gave them to Melchizedek. And then he took the remaining spoils of war that probably were rightfully his and he returned those things to the king of Sodom. Gave them away. He had been faithful to do what God required of him which is to tithe. And, and he had been faithful to the vow that he had made to the Lord. Look in verse number 22 of the previous chapter. So, so, so say Sodom, the king of Sodom says, listen, you keep the spoils and just give me the people back. And look what Abram said. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord. That means I've made a vow to God. What's the vow, Abram? He says, I've made the vow to the Lord Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldst say, I have made Abram rich. So Abram comes back from this battle, and everything that he had won in war, he gave it all away. He says, I've made a vow that all of this belongs to either the Lord or all of it belongs to the king of Sodom. So the question is this, what is the reward then for those who are faithful? What can you and I expect God to do for us when we are faithful to do what he's told us to do, which in this case was to tithe, and then when we're faithful to do what we've promised that we'll do for the Lord? When you have, when you have been faithful in every way, what can you expect from God? You can be certain that there is a reward. The reward isn't just good or adequate. According to this text, no, the reward is exceeding great. Most rewards are temporary. I got to thinking when I was a when I was a young person, and then even for a little while, I, I did a little bit of coaching through our Christian school. And I can remember we would go to tournaments, and um, and 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 at, and at a tournament, you understood you were you were playing for what? Well, you're playing for a trophy of some sort. And I've been enough Christian school tournaments to know that those those trophies are worthless. I mean, they are worthless plastic I mean they're they're made to look like they're gold but those things are not gold if you took something like that to a jewelry store said I want to I want to pawn this off he'd look at you and say take a hike you know there's no value to that monetarily none so what are we really playing for I suppose you're you're playing for bragging rights right but at the end of the day what does it really matter you know I'm a 40 almost 44 year old man I could barely remember the games that we won when I was in high school I mean they, they mean nothing to me they mean nothing so what is, what is the reward in life? If it's, if it's just some money, guess what? You're going to spend that. You're going to spend it. And what you don't spend, you're going to leave to somebody else to spend. And they're going to spend it the way they want to, the way that they see, the way that they see fit. The Bible says about earthly rewards that they, that they rust and they corrupt and they can be stolen. So many people are living for those earthly rewards. They're doing everything in their power to earn a little bit more, to have a little bit more gold, a little bit more silver, a little bit more diamonds. And yet ultimately, listen, ultimately those things will fade away. Had Abram kept the spoils from this war, he would have eventually spent them or he would have left them to be spent by others. But Get a hold of this when God is your reward. That reward is eternal. That reward never fades away. Abram was reminded that though he had given away that which he had earned or that which he had won in battle, there were some things that were reserved for him by God that only God himself could give. Amen. The remainder of this chapter, God reminds him of two things. He says, Two things I'm going to do for you. Number one, God said this God promised to give Abram an heir. In verses two to six. Abram says in verse number two, Well, Lord, Lord, okay, if you're gonna be my exceeding great reward, what are you gonna give me? What is the reward? I go childless. That's really the only thing in life that I desperately want and that I desperately desire. What are you going to give me? Lord, the only child that I can sort of rightfully claim is this Eliezer. He was born in my house. He's my chief steward. Lord, what are you going to give me? You've given me no seed. Is is that the reward? Is the reward Eliezer because he was born in my house? And God said, no, it's not Eliezer. God said, you're going to have your own son. You're going to have your own child. I'm going to give you an heir. And then God said, God said in fact, let me, just, let me just tell you about this heir that I'm going to give you. He says, look up into the heavens. And Abram began to look up, and he saw millions of, of stars that filled the heavens. And, 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 and God seemed to indicate, can you, can you count those? Abram said, there's no way I can count all of those. And God said, just as innumerable as those stars are going to be, so is your seed going to be innumerable. That seemed impossible. But notice, notice what set Abram apart. Would you see it in verse number six? And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. What, what makes Abram distinct and unique? You know, Abram's friendship and favor with God is found in this verse, verse number six. Though what God had promised seemed impossible, Abram believed it and accepted it by faith. This simple act of faith pleased God, and Abram was counted righteous because of it. Can I just remind you that the only way to please God as a human being is by faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. And did you know that the vast majority of world religions are trying to please God some other way than by faith? The vast majority of world religions are trying to please God by the works of their own hands by the works of the flesh maybe getting baptized or taking communion or doing some good works or giving something away do all of these things and maybe just maybe you can be pleasing to God when all along God has said none of those things please me the only way to please me is by faith can I still remind you that those of you that might be here today and you've never believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ you never by faith believed in the Lord can I say that in, in order to have hope of eternal life, you must accept Lord by faith. That's the only way. He's not pleased any other way. God will never, listen, God will never count you righteous simply because you go to church or because you give some money away or because you try to live a good life. The only way that God will count you righteous is if you believe in the Lord. That's what pleased, that's what pleased God about Abram in verse number six. That in spite of how impossible it seemed that this was going to be, I mean, Abram at this point is well up in years and so is his wife. I mean, they couldn't have children when they were healthy and when they were young. Now, much less when they're old and when they're beyond that stage. And yet Abram said, God, if you've said it, it seems impossible, but I believe it. And God said, that pleases me. That makes me happy. And you know what God is looking for today? He's looking for a man. He's looking for a woman. It says, you know, the, the death of Christ and his burial and his resurrection, boy, that doesn't seem possible that God could do all those things or that God would do all of those things. It doesn't seem possible that my sins, as bad and as wicked as they are, could be forgiven. But Lord, if you've said it, then I'm just gonna believe it. I remind you that that's the one thing, that's the only thing that pleases God today. We must accept him by faith. Jailer in the book of Acts, chapter number 16, he's from Philippi, And he asked the question of Paul and Silas. He said, what must I do to be saved? You know what the answer was? The answer was go to church and get baptized. It's not the answer, is it? For those of you who know the Bible, that's not the answer. The answer answer wasn't, well, make sure that you do lots of really good things and then hope that you'll get in. No, the answer was a certain one. Paul looked at him, and Paul said this, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved saved are you here today wondering what must i do to be saved here's the answer belief believe on what believe on the name of the lord jesus christ then god promised to give abram the land in verses 7 to 21 i wish i had more time to develop this but god god did two things he gave two little illustrations of these promises he said look to the stars and abram did he said that's how innumerable your, your, your seat is going to be and then he said this land is going to be yours and abram wondered lord how are you going to do that and God said to Abram in, in this text, he said, I want you to take some animals and I want you to divide them. Now, I, I, I don't mean to be um, gross or, or disrespectful today, but he simply, simply meant that you need to slaughter these animals and you need to cut them up into pieces and I want you to just kind of scatter them in a certain region. You say, well, what was the meaning of this? Well, in those days when a, when a man was going to enter into a covenant, a covenant was a very, very serious thing. And that covenant, they would divide, they would divide animals and they would slaughter them and and divide them up into pieces and they would scatter them. And then the two people that were entering into the covenant, uh, they would sort of hold hands and they would walk among those uh, divided pieces of those animals that had been slaughtered. And and they would would make the rounds and they would walk all through them. And and the significance, the meaning of that ceremony was this, they were saying, if I break this covenant, if I do not do what I'm promising to do, what I'm vowing to do, then may I I, may the same fate that fell to these animals fall to me as well. That was the meaning. That was the significance of the ceremony. And so God said, divide, divide the animals. Divide them up. And Abram did as God said. As it was drawing toward the evening, the Bible says that Abram fell into a deep, deep sleep. We don't have time to read this, but you read the rest of the chapter and you'll find that Abram fell into a deep sleep. And that night, that night, we'd say, well, okay, there's a covenant between Abram and God. So Abram and God are going to walk between these animals. That's not what happened. The Bible says that as Abram was sleeping, he watched something unusual take place. He, he saw a smoking furnace and he saw a burning lamp come down from heaven, and those two things began to make their way among the divided animals. Those two things represented the I am, the self-existent one. You know what God is saying? God is saying, no human being walks with me, makes any promises to me that they could ever keep. God is saying, I am the promise maker, and I am I am the promise keeper. I commit my life to the Lord, and I'm going to heaven someday, not because of anything that I have done, but because God keeps his promises. He is the covenant-keeping God. I am nothing. He is everything. Our God is the all-powerful, self-existent one. He is the only one who is faithful to do exactly what he says. That's who our God is, and that's the ceremony that unfolded God said, just as sure as I've promised you that you're going to have that land, just as sure as I've made that promise, you're going to have that land. God said, God said as, as these two items begin to make their way, He's essentially saying, if I don't give you that land, may, 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 that which I've, may that which happened to these animals happen to me. And you and I know that it's impossible. It's impossible to defeat our God, it's impossible to divide our God. Can't be done. God was saying, God was saying, that land, though it may not be yours at this very moment, it is yours because I've promised it to you. So we conclude, are you anxious and full of fear today? The word of the Lord comes to us and it says, fear not. He gives us peace. Are you or your family under attack today? You don't need to be stronger. You don't need to be filled with more might You don't need to fight that battle yourself. Hear what the word of the Lord that came unto Abram says. He is your shield. He's your protection. Have you done all you can to be obedient to the Lord and to fulfill the vows that you've made to him? Do you sometimes wonder what's going to be my reward? Hear the word of the Lord today. He is your exceeding great reward. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.